pray for, you the, for the help of the Holy Spirit, He who inspired Scripture, He who spoke from the very beginning. We pray for the voice of God to sound in our hearts. We pray for the, the love and grace of God to fill our hearts. We pray to be drawn closer to you today as we consider your word. Amen. So these weeks I'm giving you a definition and explanation of Christian faith because a lot of people talk about faith and some of it is nonsense to be, to be truthful. Faith, as I want to define it for you, is faith in God through Jesus, his Son, by the Holy Spirit, so all Trinity involved in this, according to truth. Faith is according to truth, not according to feelings or according to somebody's daydream or nightdream, but according to truth, according to Scripture. The definition of the whole Christian life is that the just, the saved person, will live by faith. Not just come into salvation, but will continue on in faith as a lifestyle. It's a continual process. And faith is not a power we operate. Faith is not focused upon an outcome. It's focused upon God. And faith is Godward. I'm afraid that the much modern presentation of the gospel is poor, it's lacking, in that it invites people to find something rather than someone, to find salvation or blessing rather than a saviour, to find health and wealth rather than God himself. Do you like that one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So today we come to this. Faith, or oh, Jesus said, have faith in God. We'll come back to that in a moment. Faith and repentance. Ah, you go. No, stick with me. Now, I sh probably should have come to this topic before. I haven't ordered them that well from the beginning as to say, I'll do this and then that one. I do whatever kind of strikes me that week, but we're on this course. Faith and repentance are foundational issues for a Christian believer. Paul in, Rome, in Hebrews 6 lists some foundations of the Christian faith. He says, therefore, let us, leaving the discussion of the elementary principle of Christ, go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of Repentance from dead works or works that lead to death and of faith towards God. Notice that it's faith, not just faith, any kind of faith, you know, no, faith towards God of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, which is to receive the Holy Spirit, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And we'll do this if God permits us, he said. Notice those two first one, repentance from works that lead to death and faith towards God. What is Repentance. I wonder what image comes to your mind when we use the word repentance, when you hear the word. Is it someone weeping? Is it feeling ashamed and sorry and guilty? Is it being seen to be shamed and sorry and guilty? You know, in the old times, people would put sackcloth on their bodies instead of their clothes, and they'd put dust and ashes on their head, not hot ashes, you know, cool down ones, right? Uh, you can read about that in Job and Jeremiah and so on. Is it paying the price, being punished for having done wrong, for what you've done? Are they what repentance is about? No? Thank you. No, thank you. Before I answer that question, I need you to, all, to, to tell you that repentance runs through the whole Bible. We have accounts of people who did or did not repent. David did, Saul didn't, and so on. Who turned to God for forgiveness and help, or failed or refused to do so. But for the sake of time, we're going to jump right into the New Testament. And John the Baptist went about preaching and baptizing people in Jordan, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And those who heard his message and 
believed what he was saying. They needed to put themselves, to get themselves straightened out and get ready for the coming of Messiah, who was coming very soon. Got baptized in the River Jordan. Now, Jesus came down to the Jordan and said to John, I'm going to be baptized too. John didn't want to do it. He said, but you, you don't need to repent. Why should I do that to you? Jesus said, insisted that it was the right thing to do to fulfill all righteousness. So John baptized him. And as Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him and the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I will please. He owned him, confirmed him and that he was the Son of God and the Messiah, his anointed one. And straight away from that incident, Jesus is led up into the desert, into the wilderness. And for 40 days he was on trial. The devil came and tested him and tried him. And when Jesus finished that time in the wilderness and overcame all those trials, all those temptations, he came up through Judea and up into Galilee, and as he went through those places of the Middle East, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you remember? Do you notice that? It's the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God, the God of heaven, had come and was coming in and through Jesus so let me begin to answer now that question, what is repentance? Now, you may be very aware of the fact that you have done a lot of wrong. You don't need telling that you're a sinner. You kind of actions. But repentance is not those feelings and responses in itself. Let me turn to a passage of Scripture, one of Paul's letters. It's not the simplest passage of Scripture, and so I'm going to read it to you from the Good News Translation, a simpler version than my usual one. Paul, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, had instructed them they needed to deal with a man who was conducting a sexual relationship with his father's wife, with his stepmother, in other words. Paul told them that if that man was, wouldn't stop that and repent, then he needed to be treated as an outsider, not as a brother, a fellow believer for a while, until he repented, until he said, I'm, I'm sorry, let's put this all right, let's put this straight. It would appear they did what Paul had asked them to do, and the man did indeed repent of his sinful behavior. So when Paul heard that that happened, he wrote again, urging them to forgive him and restore him to fellowship. And here's what Paul comments upon that in 2 Corinthians 7. There's a few bits on the screen there for you. I wrote you a letter, and even if that letter of mine made you sad, I'm not sorry I wrote it. I could have been sorry when I saw how it made you sad for a while, but now I'm happy. Not because I made you sad, but because your sadness made you change your ways. That sadness was used by God, and so we caused you no harm. For the sadness that is used by God brings a change of heart. Repentance is the word there, that leads to salvation, and there's no regret in that. But sadness that is merely human causes death. See what God did with this sadness of yours. How earnest it has made you. How eager to prove your innocence. Such indignation, such alarm, such feeling, such devotion, such readiness, readiness to punish wrongdoing. You've shown yourselves to be without fault in the whole matter. The sadness, the shame, pushed them to fix it, to do it. If feelings bring you to God to ask for and receive God's mercy and grace, praise the Lord. But repentance is not the feelings or the emotions. It's what you do. In repentance, tears are optional. Decisions and actions are not. Repentance 
is a change of mind. In fact, the Greek word that's translated repent and repentance is metanoia. Sounds a big word, but we're familiar with words like that. Metamorphosis is to change shape. A metaphor is, a, is to use one word or phrase to point to another one. All right? Uh, and, and so on. So metanoia means to change your mind, change the way you think. A Christian should not and really cannot think the same way as those who have no faith in Jesus. We're people with changed minds. A changed worldview, a changed outlook on life. Repentance is a change of direction. A change of mind needs to lead, leads to a change of direction. To begin to live as a Christian, to take a very different direction from the rest of the world around you. Jesus spoke of this as being on a different path. It's a broad path that leads to destruction, but a narrow pathway that leads to life, to life eternal. And he says, few that find it. Jesus calls us to walk on a narrow path, not the broad path. I've, I forgot to put a picture up of this, but I love the picture of there's a, there's, a, there's a shoal of fish swimming this way and there's one fish swimming the other way. That's the Christian. That's the Christian. We are against the tide. We're against the flow. The primary focus of this change of direction is not from and to this to that. It's from all of this to God. To seek Him, to find His way, to rely upon His grace, His mercy. But it's a change of direction, then it's a change of activity, the things we do. When those people come to John the Baptist and, and say, okay, we believe what you're saying, you know, we want to be baptized, they also asked him some specific questions. What shall we do, they said to him. And he said to them, the person who has two cloaks or coats, give to somebody who has none, and if someone has no food, feed them. Tax collectors came to be baptized. Now, they were the bad guys in their society, another time. They said, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than what is appointed for you. In other words, stop ripping people off and adding to the taxes. Likewise, soldiers asked him. Now, soldiers were either Jew Jewish or Roman. They said, what shall we do? And he said, do not intimidate anyone or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Again, stop ripping people off. So there were practical issues straightening up Dealing with people, notice that most of those are dealing with other people well. Doing to them as you would like them to do to you. Now I want to have another go at understanding what the Bible means by repent, repentance. It's a change of mind. But if you go back to the Hebrew, I'm not going to bother with the Hebrew word here. The word that's translated repent and repentance, the word that most often occurs in the Old Testament, has these two meanings. Number one, to, to relent, to stop. And number two, to come back. And it's actually to come to rest. Isn't that interesting? The Hebrew word that's translated repent means to come to rest. Wow. We thought it was all about... <laughs> it's to come back to rest. Let me show you the scripture in Isaiah. Sorry, I'll get there in a minute. Before, I've gone ahead of my notes, I'm preaching quickly. For this, thus says the, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. Now notice this, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. And in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But he has to say to Israel, but you would not. You didn't want to. You refused. 
That, my friends, in Bible terms, is God's gracious call to repentance. Come back. Return and find rest and be saved and rest in His salvation, His rescue, His grace, His mercy in quietness and confidence. That doesn't sound like hard work at all, does it? But it is hard work in this sense. You've got to stop being so proud that you don't do it. You've got to humble yourself to come. Now here's another call to repentance. Again, in these terms. Some of these words will be very familiar to you. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's the yoke of two animals with a bar across their necks. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus invites us all to turn to him and to find rest. You may not have thought of his words in this way, but that is a call to repentance, biblically. To stop in your efforts of self-improvement or even self-punishment and be rescued by him and strengthened by him and brought back to peace by him. Who told you repentance was difficult? No, being without life in God, being without hope, living under the burden and guilt of sin, living with an accusing conscience, feeling that there's no purpose in life, being without God, that's hard. I want to tell you, this. go back to Luke 15. Now, Colin preached Luke 15 not many, many weeks ago. All right, so if you want the whole thing on Luke 15, you've got to go back and listen to Colin's sermon because I'm only going to do a few bits this morning. Luke 15 starts with the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish authorities, spreading a complaint among the crowds who were coming to hear Jesus. They were, they were bad-mouthing him behind the corners. You know. This man receives sinners and goes and eats with them. I mean, tax collectors, prostitutes. The accusation was entirely true. It's just the, the way they were saying it. Jesus did indeed spend time with people the others shunned. He'd already answered the accusation by saying already before now that he was like a shepherd who was gathering back lost sheep. He was like a doctor who was treating the sick patients. That's how Jesus described himself. But hearing the accusation being made again, Jesus told three stories. Here are the first two, finding a lost sheep and a lost coin. Let me read them to you, Luke 15. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, saying, rejoicing. And he comes home, he calls together his neighbors, and he says, friends and neighbors, and he says to them, rejoice with me. I found my sheep which was lost. Jesus adds, I say to you, likewise, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now he's implying, well, they think like that. They think that way. Because there aren't really 99 people like that. 
Then he tells a story about a, a woman who had 10 silver coins. She loses one. She searches the house, turns it upside down. You know, you talk about sprinkling. She sprinkling the whole place to find this coin. And she found it. She called her friends and neighbors, rejoice with me, and so on. And Jesus again says, there's more joy. There is joy in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus, remember, is answering the accusation that he's spending time with sinners. In these stories, the lost people are like the lost sheep and the lost coin. But God, in fact, Jesus too, is like the person who's going and finding them and rejoicing when they're found, and heaven rejoices when they're found. But then he tells a third story, which is more layered and more involved, and I can only give you a few headlines today. It's what we call the prodigal son. Simply put, the story has three main characters. A lost rebel son who rejected his father, rebelled against him, took his inheritance, and off he went. A loving father who longed for the son's return and received him back when he came home. And a jealous older brother about whom we'll say nothing more today. But the son went to the father and said, I'm not going to wait for you to die, basically. Give me my share of your in the inheritance now. The father did it, and he went away, far away into another country, he spent it all on, wasted it all on fine living or fancy living or wild living. And then he had nothing left and he was feeding swine, pigs. And if you're Hebrew, you're a Jew, then that's not a good job for you, is it? He's at the lowest of the low. And he was so hungry, he wanted to eat the pig's food. And then it says, verse 17, he came to himself, came to his senses, we would say. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and here I am perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me just one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, which implies what? The father was watching and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son began to make his speech, but the father interrupted him and called the servant and said, bring out the robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, bring the calf, kill it, we're going to have a party. My son has returned. He was lost and is found. He was dead and is now alive. And they began to make merry. The son came to himself and decided it was time to go home. Now, he didn't dare to believe or think for a moment he could recede back into being a son. He just wanted to be a son. Just give me work and food and, and, and shelter and I'll, 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 I'll behave myself. But his father was having none of that. Who, in the parable, is Jesus saying, God is like the Father. And who are we like? Yeah. You got it. You see, the, the son didn't earn his way back to the Father. And in fact, the truth about God is better than any of those parables, but they, you have to combine them together. God is the one who seeks those who are lost. He doesn't just wait for them to come back. He's already seeking. And repentance, like faith itself, is not something that we make. It's the gift of God. He grants it. He gives it. 
Repentance is not just mourning over an old life. It's turning to God for the start of a new life. Repentance is a changed mind, a changed direction, changed behavior and lifestyle. That is what the gospel teaches us. But the, what the scripture says to us, but the problem is Christian tradition, and this goes back to before the Roman Catholicism, back to the early fathers and so on, turned repentance into penitence and penance. In other words, penitence, doing, feeling bad about it, beating yourself up about it. Or penance was the idea of, I need to pay something back. What on earth do you think you can do to pay your debt back to God? You have no idea. It's a non-starter. There's nothing you can do to pay your debt back to God. Penance. Stupid idea. Penance. People have been led to think they've got to suffer for their sins. You've got to feel, you've got to feel worse about it. Even Protestants do this sometimes. I don't think you're repentant enough yet. You know? What do you mean he's not repentant enough yet? If he's made a decision to turn to God, let him do it. Help him to do it. You can't even think of turning to God and making a new start until you feel really, really, really sorry. You're not. <laughs> this isn't it. That kind of thinking kind of sits underneath the surface for many, many, many Christians. Oh, I don't feel bad about it yet. I need a few more bruises. I need to leave it a bit longer. Or I need to figure out what I've got to do to put it right. Now, there are some practical things you could do to make some things right, yes, but that's a, in how you've treated other people, okay? But as far as God is concerned, there's nothing you can do before God to put it right with him. Jesus has done it all. We sang it earlier. You know, Maxine read what Psalm, Psalm, Isaiah 53 for us. Here's Romans' version. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No improvement on our part. No halfway steps. No halfway up the ladder. Just help me on the last bit. No, Jesus did it all. While we were yet still sinners, Jesus died for us. Every act of rebellion, every breaking of his law, every mo movement of wickedness in our lives, Jesus paid for it all. Mercy and grace are ours in him. And they... He not only gives us forgiveness, but reconciliation and acceptance. He gives us cleansing. He brings us equipping. You can be set in this new direction. You can learn to step forward confidently and at peace with God, in the love of God through Jesus, and know the help of God. You can change and continue to change. For this process of changed mind and changed life isn't just one thing that happens when you, when you give your life to the Lord Jesus and you convert it. It's a way of life for us. It's part of faith. We keep being changed. We keep going through times of refocusing, realigning, returning. In the early chapters of Revelation, there are seven letters to seven churches in what is now Turkey. And in those letters, not in each letter, but across those letters, seven times Jesus calls Christians to repent. Again, it's not language of beat yourselves up. No, it's come on, turn around, come back. Now that's no accident. Repentance isn't done and dusted when you believed. 
We are constantly in need of being renewed in our thinking. Romans 12 says that. And refocused and recentered in our faith and obedience to the Lord. We get off track. We get overwhelmed with stuff. We get confused. We need to come back, to come back, to come back. It's not a matter of waiting to be driven by pressure of circumstances or a build-up of feelings. It's a decision to be made and an action to be taken. Here I am, Lord. I'm turning to you. Here's the thought that comes to many of us. Things aren't bad enough. I don't feel bad enough yet. Now that's a lie. One of which, the sat- of which Satan must be justly proud. That does a lot of harm to a lot of people. I don't feel bad enough about this yet. It's not time for me to turn to God yet. The truth is this. Now is the time. Today is the day. Just like the father in the story Jesus told us, the Lord is ready to receive you, restore you and help us. Remember, to repent is to stop, to change your mind, to turn to the Lord, and to find rest and help and peace and strength in and from Him. There's an old hymn written in the turn of the century, not this last century, the one before. In other words, 1890s to 1900s, is written around that time. This verse that says this, I've wandered far away from God, now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've tried. Lord, I'm coming home. It's very twee, isn't it? But it kind of moves me there. Because that's exactly what Jesus in the parables is telling us repentance is about. Coming home. Coming back to a loving Father. Coming back where you should have been anyway. Out there was not what you were made to be. What you were involved out there was not what God intended you for. When you come back to Him, you come home. Let me ask you something. Will there be joy in heaven today? Because one person, that's all we've been talking about, turns around to God. Here I am, Lord, help me. Here I am, Lord, please rescue me. There will be across the, across the planet, there will be many thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people today across this planet who will turn to God through Jesus. will come to him for grace and for mercy through Jesus. Amen. Amen. You could be the 10,000th or 100,000th of one today. I'm going to pray in a moment, then we're going to break bread together. And... Uh, I'm going to pray, but at the end of this morning, because we kind of do some things off stream when the cameras have stopped rolling and so on, at the end of this morning, when we've, when we've break, broken bread, we've had a final song, and when we've said amen and we've closed the live stream off, if you would like someone to pray with you this morning, please come over that side, by the cross, by the table, okay? Come to that corner. If you're a lady, we'll find a lady to pray with you. If you're a chap, we'll find a chap to pray with you. And take a few moments before you go home today to, to, to take the decision and make the action that will help you to turn to God. He calls you to it. Come home. So we turn to communion. As we break bread together, and you should have one of these by you, uh, we're getting used to these things. You know, we don't distribute the emblems around the room because that's a problem in itself. We, you've picked this up on the way in. You've handled it, not us. And so, uh, 
I want to ask you this morning, what is it you want to say to him today? Jesus said, do this, take this bread, drink this wine, and do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me. Now, remembering in your head is one thing, that's good, remembering in your head or heart kind of thing. But what about saying something to him? At the very least, we should, when breaking bread, be those who are giving thanks. But perhaps, even before we break bread, we should do what the traditional churches do, the Anglicans and so on. We should take a moment to confess to him something that comes to mind. If anything comes to your mind today of which you're feeling very, very uncomfortable, you know that you've, you've made a mess of that, you've, you've done something wrong, why don't you turn to the Lord and confess that to him in these moments and make it your prayer? All right? Let's take a moment to pray together. Then I'm going to pray and then we'll break bread. Just where you are, lift your own thoughts and speak quietly to the Lord. Father, we thank you that through Jesus we have acceptance. We have reconciliation. You are like that Father who has received us and embraced us. And we didn't think that you could be that kind. We didn't think your grace could be that huge. But you've made us your dear children through Jesus. We who rebelled against you are now welcomed and given such privilege, such honor, that we should be your children. So we rejoice and give thanks through Jesus again today for all the grace that has come to us. We thank you that Jesus was the seeking shepherd, but there's something more that he did for us. He reconciled us to God at the cross, took away our penalty. So for us, there is no penalty. There is no penance possible because Jesus has paid it all. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread. Thank you for your broken body, Lord Jesus. The cup speaks that...